This morning in the congregation, I know there's at least a, a few hunters uh, with us. In our family, it's not me. It's my daughter, Elizabeth, who's really more of the hunter. And another hunter is, uh, is Jeff, who's going to read the scripture here in a minute. And when a hunter is up there in the stand, they're up there in that stand enjoying that time. They, they enjoy the time maybe early in the morning, kind of the cool, crisp air there, the view that they have, or in the early evening as it's getting dark there. They just enjoy that time there. But I think it's safe to say that that hunter is not there just because they enjoy the time in the stand. There's, there's an aim. There's a point to being there, right? It's, it's to get that big buck, right? There's a point to being there, to be there for the hunt. And this morning in the Gospel of John, we've been in this for 20 chapters, and it has been glorious, all that we've gotten. But now John is getting to where he's saying, there's a point to this book. There's a reason that I have written this book. And that's the aim that we're going to hear about this morning as John makes it very clear for us. So Jeff, if you would, read for us from uh, John chapter 20. So I invite you to stand if you're, if you're able. Yes, let's uh, read God's word today. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into the, his side, I will not believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Then answered, Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, and are, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. Our Father and our God, indeed help us this morning to move from disbelief to belief. For the grass withers, the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Big idea this morning, as we look at this passage, is this. It's what Howard said earlier. In a culture that reaches, that grasps for trivial things that will fade away, we seek to be a church that clings that clings to the eternal, the true, what lasts, even though we don't always see it. Even though we don't always see it. Let's follow that through in our passage. 
this morning. So first, let's, let's kind of re-meet Thomas, if you will. It says, Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, or the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. All right, so, so no disrespect to Thomas, but here's the character that comes to mind when I think of Thomas. The guy who says, well, don't blame me if it rains. I wish I could say yes, but I can't. Don't worry about me. Go and enjoy yourself. I'll stay here and be miserable. Eeyore was faithfully loyal to Pooh. He was very loyal, but kind of quite the, the pessimist. Likewise, Thomas with Jesus. Thomas loved Jesus, loyal to him, faithful to him. Thomas is the one who said back in chapter 11, he said, let us go with him that we may die with him. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to die with him. I will go with him. But he's also the one, kind of the glass half empty, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I don't know, what, how are we going to do this? Kind of glass half empty there. And he's at this point now, he was committed to Jesus, but Jesus has died and gone and all that, and so I don't want to get hurt again. I want to be committed to this and get hurt again. And maybe that's something that you feel at times where I've been involved in this, and then I got hurt. And am I willing to step in and engage and put it on the line again to risk that pain? For Thomas, the cross had come. Jesus was dead. Thomas was broken. At this point, not, not a believer. Then it says, So the other disciples told Thomas, We've seen the Lord. But he said to him, said to them, unless I see the marks in his hands, unless I touch his side, I will not believe. I won't, will not, committed, I won't believe. Couldn't he have given a little more hopeful view to say, well, if you show me, if you show me the truth, then, then I'll believe. He's saying, I won't. I'm done. I'm not going to believe this. Thomas was, in effect, committed to disbelieve. They'd given him the facts. Look, Thomas, we saw him. But he stubbornly rejects. You know, all these people say, we, we saw him, we saw him. He's effectively saying, you guys had a mass hallucination. You guys are all seeing things. Miracles? It's impossible. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I am firmly committed to disbelieving even though the facts say otherwise. You know, we run into people like that sometimes. You can say, you know what? You're telling me all the truth about Christianity, but I don't care. Because Christians are like so-and-so, and I don't like so-and-so. So therefore, I'm committed to disbelieving. And maybe there's that something else, even for someone here, where you say, yeah, I've heard, I've seen the facts, but I don't like Christians because of something that happened in my past. So I'm committed 
to disbelieving. Well, for Jesus, you know, if I were Jesus, I might have been tempted to just kind of, all right, Thomas, I'm going to leave you off the list. You'll be the example of one who got passed over. But no, eight days later, Jesus' disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus comes in, appears, says, peace be with you. So eight days, all right? So what had happened here was the Lord's Day, Easter, Jesus rises, and they're worshiping with him, okay? And so that was Sunday. And often we'll hear, well, why do we worship on Sunday and not on Saturday, like in the Old Testament? It was because Jesus rose on Sunday. So the disciples were gathering. It was the Lord's Day, and that's what the New Testament church continued to do. So that's why we worship on Sunday, the day the Lord raised, was raised. But then it says eight days later. So simply what that means is just eight days, including that first Sunday. So we go Sunday, include that, over to the next Sunday. They're gathered together. They're worshiping again. Where was Thomas the week before? We don't know. We don't know where he was. But we do know that he was not with them. He had rejected the opportunity to meet together and be part of worship, which the book of Hebrews later would warn us, do not give up meeting together church believer, there is value, there is goodness in being together in worship. Don't neglect that. Thomas has done that, and he was becoming more and more hardened in his unbelief. And we need to be aware of that as well. So an application, negative point is this. If you're struggling, if I'm struggling, beware of isolating ourselves. It's not saying don't grieve alone for a time, but do not isolate yourself and let the negative words just speak into our hearts. On the positive side, the faithful witness and prayer can draw someone back. Keep praying, keep praying. Can draw someone back to receive grace. Don't give up your care for someone who's struggling. Many, many years ago, some of you know the story of the church father, Augustine. Augustine, he was far from God, but his mama, Monica, prayed and prayed and prayed for him, and he was saved. Parents, don't give up praying for those children. Children, don't give up praying for those parents who need Christ. Jesus is gracious. He returns. Okay, the doors are locked, right? The doors are locked. He just kind of appears. He's in there. Kind of a casual reference. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. And some people we'll talk to will say, okay, that's a miracle. Miracles don't happen. Christianity is false. That's a solid door. It's a solid person. Can't do that. Therefore, Christianity is false. Done. That's it. Okay? In some sense, yeah, if you want to stay inside a closed system and you define it, as such, if you think about this, think of gravity. Okay, gravity's got its nice equation there. This force here, this mass, this mass, gravitational constant, all that kind of stuff. So gravity, law of gravity says, hey, drop that, this falls. Drop that, this falls. That's a law, right? That has to happen. Well, but what if something from outside the system steps into it? 
doesn't violate any laws, but God from outside the system says, I created all this. I can work from outside of it. Jesus is saying, I can operate from outside this system. I can come through the door. Now, I'm not doing this just for the sake of magic, but Thomas, that you would see this points to me, and I am God. And then Jesus says to Thomas in verse 27, he says, Thomas, I know you wanted to see this. Put your finger here. See my hands. Put, your, put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Stop being unbelieving, but be believing. Be believing. And so till this point, Thomas had been an unbeliever. But now he sees Jesus ministers to him, and he is now a believer. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. In effect, we could put it this way, that Jesus put the GPS on him. Target Thomas, GPS. We know our GPS system. So here's what Jesus did for Thomas. The first, the G, that Jesus was gracious. He was gracious to Thomas. He could have he mocked Thomas. Like, you'll be the example of what not to be like. He could have ridiculed him. He could have mocked him. But no, he was gracious. And he was really gracious to all the disciples. All of them had disbelieved at some point. But Jesus was gracious to them and to Thomas. And I would hope if you're here this morning as a believer, that you would say, he has been gracious to me. It's not that I'm smarter than this one over here. I figured it out and they didn't. The only reason I'm saved is because Jesus was gracious to me. The G. Then it's personal. Jesus was personal with Thomas. He was personal. I don't even know if Thomas touched the wounds. I think it was probably enough that he saw that Jesus has shown himself to me personally. He was overcome, my Lord and my God. And for Thomas, those were not just kind of flippant uh, words. He meant them. If, if we were here, if Thomas were here in this, this service and we're doing the Apostles' Creed, Thomas would be the one saying, Descended into Hades, what, 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 what's, that, what's that mean? Oh, oh, it means he died. Okay, I can say those words. Or the Holy Catholic Church, what, what, what are you talking about? Oh, okay, that's the universal church. Okay, I can say those words. I'll affirm them. Thomas needed to know and believe what he was saying. So when his doubt became faith, he was all in, all in. Possibly the greatest confession in the book, my Lord and my God. And he was, he was willing to die for it later. Thomas willing to be martyred for it later. And isn't that important? Because 1 Corinthians 15 says this, if Jesus has not been raised, if he was not raised from the dead, if the resurrection is not true, then you... Christian are most to be pitied. 
He's betting his life on this, that Jesus was raised, that Jesus was raised. And that's the same for you this morning. What, what, what is your testimony to say, yes, I'm banking everything on Jesus. He's all I've got. That's all my capital, all my investment, all is in him alone. What's your testimony to say, yes, that's true of me? I can remember years ago, Sandra will appreciate this, at an FCA camp many, many years ago. There, there was another athlete there giving his testimony. And we were all saying, whoa, I ain't got nothing like that. That guy's testimony is so powerful. I wish I had one like that. I got nothing. But he was wise enough. He said, no, guys, gals, you don't have to go through hell to get to heaven like I did. You have your testimony that's personal of how Jesus worked in your life. And he even said, for him, the best testimony he had heard was of a six-year-old girl who said, Jesus saved me and he's never let me go. That was her testimony. Jesus has never let her go. What? What is yours? Yours is personal. Yours is personal. And then there's the S. Simple fact, Thomas needed an S, a savior. Jesus shows him his wounds. He says, Thomas, I'm your savior. I saved you. I redeemed you. I'm the redeemer. I substituted for you. These wounds you deserved, I took for you. And if you're here and you say, well, okay, that's good for you, but I don't really think I need a Savior. You don't need Jesus. You don't have a Savior. You're not saved. You're not a Christian. You can leave. No. Kidding. It's great that you're here, if you're not a believer, that you would wrestle with this as well. Do, do I need a Savior? We'll hope that you will come to that place. You are welcome here to wrestle with that truth. Some would say, well, you know, my sins are too great. My sins are too great. If you knew everything about me, you wouldn't let me in here. Same here. But if you say your sins are too great for the blood of Christ, for the blood of God, that's actually pride. To say that your sins are greater than his blood. No, no. For Thomas, for Thomas, he saw by his wounds, by his wounds, I am healed. And then we remember kind of the aim of the book Said so this is this is the book. It's it's getting focused in here. If we go back to the beginning, we saw at the at the very beginning the glorious truths. In the beginning was the word, and the word was, was with God, and the word was God. We beheld his glory. He came and dwelled among us. But Thomas gets it now. He sees this is the target. This is the target of the book that I would believe, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says then to Thomas, he says this, Thomas, have you believed because you've seen? That's great, but there are going to come others, as Howard said earlier, that will not see and yet will believe. 
and yet will believe. So Jesus is not rebuking Thomas for believing because of seeing, but he's saying, let's move this now to us. From Thomas to the reader to the hearer to us, to us. John's readers, like Thomas, need to come to faith. And this is what coming to faith looks like. Jesus did many other signs. Many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. So John, the author, he did all kinds of, wrote about all kinds of signs and things that Jesus did. These are written. And it's often said when somebody writes, you know, it's, it's better to show, don't tell. Don't just say fact, fact, fact. Show. Paint the picture. The beautiful picture. And so John is not given an exhaustive biography of everything of Jesus. He'll say later, if I did, it would fill all the books. He says, but I've given you specific ones that point that you might believe. Rest in these. Whether you're a believer for weeks or for years, this is to encourage you. And think about this. Here are some of the signs, the blessings that we've seen through the book as we've come through this. If we go back to the beginning, right off the bat in chapter 1, there's John the Baptist and he says, here's the Lamb of God. He takes away your sin. That is your biggest problem. That is my biggest problem this morning. Is not health, wealth, it's my sin. That it would be taken away by the Lamb of God. And then Jesus goes on and he talks to Nicodemus, the guy who has the best street creds of anybody. Wisdom, intelligence, honor. He says, you got to be born again. I don't care what you got. You got to be born again. Same thing for each of us. We must be born again. John goes on to show, Jesus says, you know, you're wrapped into all kinds of lies and the world twists you up. You want to be free? Truth, Christ, truth sets you free. And then he says, if you're a child of God, if you're a believer, then you will hear the shepherd's voice. If you're one of my sheep, you know my voice. You're no longer an orphan. You're a child and you hear me. I speak to you. And then he points out, you're going to be hated by the world. Whoop, blessing? No, but a fact. It was a blessing that he let them know that in advance. It's not just come to Jesus and your life is happy, happy. You will be persecuted. You will be hated. They hate me, they'll hate you. I'm letting you know that that's going to happen. You will be hated by the world. But amidst that, you will have the Holy Spirit in you, indwelling you, empowering you, speaking to you, guiding you, challenging you, convicting you, encouraging you, in you. And then before I leave, I'm going to pray for you. As Jesus leaves, he prays for his disciples and for you and me. Way back then, he prayed for us. But John isn't done because this news is so important that it can't be left without a decision. 
It can't be left without a decision. Meaning this, in verse 31, it says this. These are written so that you may believe. You may believe. That word, though, is so strong, the tense, you could just as well say you must believe. The tense of that verse is saying, these are written so that you must, you must believe. There are only two groups I'm speaking to, John is saying. Either those who have not but must come to faith, this is the most important decision it's the continental divide. You decide, yes or no, you must believe. Or, for those who have believed, continue in your faith and be encouraged. To these two groups, John writes, unbelievers to convert, believers to convert, encourage, that is the point of the book. He said, that's the point. We've gotten here. This is the point, the aim of the book. So for the unbeliever, for the skeptic, he's not saying, that, you know, this is just kind of, eh, choose this or that, I'm a Chevy driver, I think I'll, you're telling me to choose a Ford. Eh, I'll choose one or the other, I'll choose a Ford. No. He's saying, this is critical. This is life or death. This is costly. This will cost you something. In the movie Braveheart, William, Law, William Wallace, right, and... and in history, William Wallace, he could have just, hey, I'll affirm my allegiance. I'll give in to England. No. No. I will die. I will die for the freedom, freedom of the Scottish. I will die for it. It will cost something very significant. As John writes from Ephesus. John is writing this gospel from Ephesus. In Ephesus, say Caesar is Lord, you're good. Say Jesus is Lord, it'll cost you. It will cost you a lot. Your life, potentially. So when he says here, Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, the prophet, priest, and king, he is Lord, not Caesar. You're affirming this. Unbeliever, you're crossing over from death to life. It may cost you your life in this realm, but it is worth it. It is worth it. You must, you must believe, and I'm calling you to that. For an unbeliever this morning, the question would be this. What, why would you not choose Christ. Why would you not choose Christ? Think of this. Is, is there any proof? Is there a proof? Is there a sign that's lacking? Which, which one of Jesus' signs that he did did not have the stamp of God on them? That God is here amidst. Or would it be that you might say, he's not worthy. Jesus is not worth it to me. What of Jesus is lacking in his character? What is not perfect? Or, or could it be that you're afraid that he would not accept you? That he would not accept you? 
His blood. His blood proves it. Or would you, maybe, would you maybe choose a different religion? Oh, there's all these other religions out there. What's so good about Christianity? What other religion comes close, even close, to holding up what is the most beautiful, the most true, the most good? Nothing, nothing. Or it could be the commitment. You're calling me to commitment. That's too hard. That's too hard. We saw here this morning Thomas, the one who's the the greatest skeptic, the hardest, but he was willing to go all in. To go all in. Would you? And and it might be that you say, well, you know, I have all these problems with Christians. They're not perfect. I have these problems. We're not. This church is not perfect. The Savior, Christ is. But then there's the second group. The one who says, I want to encourage you as a believer. That's the point of this book as well. The point of the book. Listen to the blessing spoken over you. Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and believed. So many here this morning. Hear that blessing. But then here's a question. Just to think about. Think about this. For you, a believer this morning, maybe years and years, whatever it is, why? Why are you persuaded? Why are you persuaded to believe? This might seem like I'm, wait, what are you trying to talk me out of it? No, no. But to encourage each other, why is it that you were persuaded to give your life to Christ. Why? You might, you might be the type that said, well, I, I studied all the facts. I had these doubts, these facts, this and that. And then it finally, the, the scale tipped. You know, once, once I heard all the facts, it, it persuaded me out of my doubts. And the, the seesaw tipped. And I was all in. I was persuaded those wonderful truths that tip the scale. Or it could have been, it was the resurrection. I was Thomas. That you had to show me who moved the stone or who, that he was raised. Once the resurrection was set, that was it. He's alive. He's God. That's what did it. Praise God, the resurrection, the fact of the resurrection. Or maybe you're one who says, you know what? It's, it's, the, it's the whole deal. It's the Christian worldview that says it's the only thing that tells me how it started, what went wrong, what happens in between, what the only option is to fix it, how I can be fixed, and then what's going to happen in the end. The Christian worldview is perf- perfect, and it's the only one that can explain everything. The perfection of the worldview. John is saying, this morning be strengthened in your belief. In this day and age where many are tempted to walk away, to walk away, to grasp after the little trivia, the bells, the whistles, the false riches of this world, John is saying, no, 
You've got it. You've got the eternal. You've got what's perfect, what's good forever. So I'm going to give a simple assignment for later today. If you're going home with somebody, you're driving, you're having your meal or whatever, just share why. Why am I persuaded? Why do I know that I know that I know? Why do I believe? And this is meant to be encouraging over that lunch or whatever. Somebody says something simple. I know that I believe because of this. You might think, well, that's whatever. Encourage. Thank you for sharing that. Praise God that you believe and you know why. Let's share that today with each other later to to know the beauty of what John has focused in and here, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Would you pray with me? Our Father, thank you for this book that gives the wealth, the glory of all these truths, of the beauty, goodness, and truth of Christ. And then that zeroes in, focuses in here, that says to each one of us, you must, you must believe that decision is critical. All of eternity is based upon it for each of us. Thank you for times like this of reckoning, whether we may have made the decision many, many years ago, but now we are grounded all the more in it. Lord, thank you for challenges like this that help us to focus on the eternal. In Christ's name we pray, amen.